From the podcasting studio in the Reynolds School of Journalism, this is Residual Culture. A media mixtape. I'm Joey Lovato. And I'm Ben Birkenbein. And I'm Jacob Solis. (laughs) (laughs) We have a guest on today. Hi, Jacob. How's it going? You know, it's going well. Good. We um, we are colleagues. We've worked together. We went to college together. We worked at KUNR together, and now we work at the Nevada Independent together. We've just kind of sailed through our 20s uh, in the same profession. Yeah, somehow we are still inextricably linked together. Also, I'm dating your sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah which, somehow. Which, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> we're here to talk about Game of Thrones today. That's right, we are. It's a very timely topic, of course, because the new season has just uh, begun. The, la- uh, the last season. The, yeah, I should also say the new and last season has just begun. And as a matter of fact, I just watched the first episode a couple days ago. I was a little bit behind, but uh, I'm prepared, I think. But let me just say this right off the bat. I think m- watching that first uh, episode of the new season reminded me that there are a lot of characters in Game of Thrones. And in fact, mm-hmm. I... You know, as characters would come out, I recognized faces and not necessarily names. So later when I was trying to describe the episode to my wife, Roberta, I was like, oh, that one person, you know, the persons with the ships, (laughs) you know, those people. (laughs) The ship guys, are they the Greyjoys? They are Greyjoys, yes. I can't believe I I knew that. Well, I knew it was Greyjoys, but I'm just, I use that as an example because I can't honestly remember how to describe some of the others. Sure. Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I should say that I have only seen up to the Red Wedding episode. I've never watched past that. And it's not because I was angered about the Red Wedding. I actually didn't even see the Red Wedding. I just, uh, I think I stopped, we stopped having HBO and then I also just didn't really care. And maybe just let me interject here and just say that for any listener that has not seen Game of Thrones, I fully expect there to be spoilers in this episode. So there will probably be spoilers. Just, just keep that in mind. So if you want to come back to the episode later, you can do so, but please come back. I don't think we're going to like spoil like every major thing. Though, no, so no, no. If you're not that worried about it, you can probably. Oh, I fully plan on it. Okay, Jacob. <laughs> Please name every single person that's died so far. <laughs> I can, if you would like. <laughs> How? But here's my my problem with Game of Thrones, and you mentioned this, Ben, is that I don't I don't know why it's so popular because of this, because it's mm-hmm. so needlessly complex when it comes to characters. The like main cast is probably 20, 25 characters, and then there's everyone on the periphery too. So like. At least in the books, you have an appendix, so you can flip back. Oh, who was that? <laughs> All right, of course, he was fourth in line to House Lannister, Kevin. But um, <laughs> Kevin. in the show, like, there's a real Kevin Lannister. I'm not making that oh, up. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> um, but in the show, it's, it's, some, it's somehow even more tedious because you have no reference point. So, you, so the way I found sometimes if you're really having a problem with it, watch with subtitles because then when you read their names, you internalize it a little better or at least you can, that'll help remember because you know how it's spelled. It's a, it's a really good but, point. Uh, like, yeah, I was just going to say it's a really good point because, uh, and in fact, we've been watching just because also of Roberta, like English is her second language. And so we've just gotten so used to watching shows with subtitles that it, it just really helps. Like when you miss like little pieces of audio or whatever. Uh, so we've also been watching subtitled stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I want to talk about why Game of Thrones is such a cultural, I mean, like every, I feel like every couple of years you have, you know, every, every 10 years or so you have like a show that just totally takes over like the culture, like, right. Like everyone's talking about it. I mean, it was, it, it was like the Sopranos, when the Sopranos came out, it was the Sopranos and then like Breaking Bad was so big. And, yep. and now I, I, I game, everyone's watching Game of Thrones. I feel like kind of left out that I'm not watching it, but you know. 
Yeah, I actually think, uh, to Jacob's point, too, like one of the reasons that I think that it is so popular is because it's breaking some of the other rules that people always assumed uh, about television. Like it's not easy to watch. Right, <laughs> that, that you had to have like simple plot lines, uh, easy sort of things for people to digest, uh, some sort of moral, simple moral message behind the thing. Whereas shows like Breaking Bad certainly com- complicated the moral lessons, at least around that show. Game of Thrones just kind of has this really big, complex, like fantasy style storyline that, you know, you and it it's big. It's more complicated than Lord of the Rings, right? I don't think I'm oh, yeah. being unfair in saying that, but because especially just because you've got so many different people involved in the story. And it's a, it's a lot more chaotic. It's not as simple as, you know, good guys versus bad guys. And then there's, you know, there is one throne that people are trying to get, right? Sure. But in the end, there's actually more factors at play. Jacob, why do you think it's such a big deal? Well, I, I think it's it's popular because the early seasons were very good. And HBO decided to invest heavily into the into the project, right? You 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 add high production values with what is ultimately a good product with excellent advertising over roughly ten years, and you get Game of Thrones. Like I, mean, I think every it was like, sort of the perfect storm. Every episode's like a movie budget, right? <laughs> Pretty at this point, yeah. I mean, oh my god! In the very first episode of season eight, like the dragons look as good as they would in a Hollywood movie. I mean, they yeah. they could probably still look better, but they've they've given so much time and money into making making this last season look like amazing that it's already blown me away from a special effects perspective. And it is limited, right? Like there are only going to be what, like eight episodes in this season, in this season. Is that right? I think six. There were seven last season. So I think there's only six this season. I could be wrong. Okay. Yeah. There's some speculation that maybe like the last one or two, maybe longer, like extended episodes though. That's what I've seen as well. Yeah. Do you think that they'll be able to wrap it up? In six, I mean, like, there's so many characters. You think they'll be able to wrap it up in six episodes? Well, at this point, the entire story has become so apocalyptic that the answer is yes. Yes, um, everyone's just gonna die. Like, yeah, like it, it, you know, everyone is gonna die, or there's gonna be like, or there will be some sort of like happily ever. I don't think there will be a happily ever after. I think that it'll be like some really melancholy, like most people are dead, <laughs> kind of ending. Um, but they'll win, quote unquote. It'll, yeah, that. However, if you really want to get into what my problems with Game of Thrones, that these later seasons have been really wishy-washy on sort of like, just sort of like, how can we advance the plot without heed to the the tone or history of the show or the way it's been written in the past or the way that the books set up the plot? Like, oh my God. So th- this, is, this is what I've heard. So like I watched, like I said, the first two and a half, three seasons of the show and I enjoyed it. I thought I thought they were enjoyable and then you were telling me because we were talking about this that seasons four and five were probably like peak Game of Thrones, like the best part of Game of Thrones. No. Oh. Season four. Okay, so season three <laughs> is probably peak Game of Thrones. Season yeah. three, okay. Season four is very good but not peak. Season five is where it turned into a trash heap. Recovered in season six, slipped back in season seven and we've arrived where we are now. <laughs> so, like... Are, are you frustrated as a fan, both you and, and Ben too? Like, are you guys? Do you guys feel frustrated like watching the show at this point? Like, you just get? Are you just watching because you're like, well, I gotta finish it. <laughs> uh, I, I w- still well, go go for it, Ben. Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, I I I do think that um, I'm certainly invested at this point, and I do want to see what happens, and I have my own hopes and also predictions for what I do think will happen, and I think we can talk about that because we probably differ on what we think is going to happen. But the other thing, though, that I'll, I'll say that is very noticeable was beginning last season, like 
it's very clear that they've just gone away from the source material because there is no more source material, right? Like Martin is still working on the books Mm -hmm. and it really, like the tone and the pace specifically, like noticeably changed. And um, you do lose a certain amount of what made the show compelling uh, in the earlier seasons, but at the same time, I mean, if they know this the season is or the series is going to end, they really do have to pick up the pace because you do have to close some loops that are just open that people want to see resolved. I think that that's really. I would agree with that. I think it's really interesting. Like this is super interesting to me because the books end at like what season four. The books end at season five, season five. Uh, because. Yeah, yeah, season five. I think that's super interesting that like there's going to be two divergent paths. So if you hate the ending of the TV show, wait for the book to come out, and maybe you'll like that or not, or maybe George R. R. Martin will not live to write the last book. Which yeah, has been yeah, a lot of bad news, Joey. He's <laughs> yeah. not going to finish those books. Well, that, and and that that being said, I think you know Martin has certainly served as like what an executive producer on the at least the this final series he was mm-hmm. listed. So he he's had most likely not final say but certainly creative oversight mm-hmm. over the the, the, the and if i'm not wrong he's said in the media that basically the ending that the show has will more or less be the ending that the books have okay, okay. interesting and i guess for him it's nice it's a nice test marketing opportunity like if it fails if people don't really like the ending he'll be like oh well, just okay fine i'll change it don't, yeah. don't worry read the books do something mm-hmm. else so so jacob what what is so um why is it so bad after season four so the issue, the issue really becomes a, an issue of writing. Yeah, I would say, yeah, writing and pacing. So I can point to a couple specific instances where in season five, the dialogue really just like falls off a cliff sometimes. Oh my God. Where it's like really like cheesy. Like specifically I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a complaint that everyone has about these three characters, the Sand Snakes. Um, they're, you know, I mean, if you watch Game of Thrones, you know, the Sand Snakes, they're the, the, the Sand Sisters from Dorne. And by golly, does everything that come out of their mouth is just, just the worst. Like Mm. it's 2019, or I guess when it was made 2016, like, that's not how we write women. God. (laughs) Um, but, but like in, in later seasons, so like in season six and in season seven, for instance, I, I think of, and you know, spoiler territory ahead. But uh, uh, Arya's storyline where, you know, she's literally trained to become an assassin and she like betrays the Assassin's Guild or whatever. And then is just like literally walking around town with her hands behind her back. And uh, she's suddenly surprised when she gets stabbed by an assassin. And I'm like, what? No, I just don't understand. <laughs> it, like nothing, nothing about the situation makes sense. And so when the show, because the show, I think, relies a lot more than other other serialized tv on like the plot itself um and like the plot being interesting that like it just that that made so little sense to me that i was trying to rationalize it in my head like oh maybe because she the the assassin's guild she belongs to are people who can change their faces so like oh maybe that's not really her like maybe she changed someone else's face and that's a decoy and like nope it was actually her she was actually stupid enough to just get stabbed so (laughs) like and then in season seven what really killed me was when they went beyond the wall. Oh my God. Like I understand why for the story they had to do it because they were like, Oh, we, the whole gist of it was they had to prove to the people in the South that the white walkers are coming. So they're like, Oh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a live zombie dude and we're going to bring it down South and that'll, that'll do the trick. And they're like, well, the only way we can do this is to go above the wall, just like six of us, and like call it good, and then we'll just go back down, and it'll be fine. Spoiler alert: it was not fine. <laughs> um, and I get like the the end, the outcome is fine, 
I guess, because they're the Night King gets a zombie dragon, which is cool. But also, like, it sort of forces this deus ex machina where, you know, your heroes, including Jon Snow, who is fully dressed in plot armor at this point, um, he's, like, trapped above the wall and, like, oh, no, who's going to come rescue them? Oh, it has to be the dragons. And so, like... Oh, at this point, like there's there's so many fantasy elements that like the the I feel like the writing has has built in these sort of easy outs where like we've had multiple instances where you know the main characters are trapped, especially Jon Snow. Oh, this happens every time with Jon Snow. He's trapped in this unsolvable situation, and then he's pulled out at the last second by someone with cooler stuff than he has. And it's like the textbook definition of Deus Ex Machina, and I really am tired of it at this point. So I'm hoping I, I, season eight doesn't do dispenses with it. I do know there's like a seat where like he like he dies and then he doesn't die. Like isn't it like everyone's like, oh my god, he's not Jon Snow's not dead and everyone yeah, no, it would have been lovely if they actually killed him. And I think that's probably where things started going off the rails. And and that's really how the book ends. The book five ends with Jon Snow being stabbed and, and sort of a Sopranos fade to black. Um, and so when season five ends roughly the same way, uh, everyone, you know, freaking out, oh, Jon Snow is dead. What, what I liked like, so much about the like the first three seasons was like they weren't like afraid to just like kill the main character. I, it was like it was just something different. I don't know if I was like happy about it because I was always like, oh, I really liked Eddard. But then I was like, oh, like it's this is not what I'm used to with television. Like I'm used to them like, mm-hmm. well, that's the main character. He has to win. <laughs> and season one really establishes the tone. I mean, like Eddard Stark, the, the Sean Bean character is the like moral core season one like undoubtedly and so when they just behead him in like episode eight there's still like two episodes left (laughs) when he dies yeah yeah. like it's shocking and 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 it's continues to be like that from the red wedding to when oberon dies like there are multiple deaths in game of thrones that are shocking and brutal and you're like oh and not only that they fundamentally change the sort of internal narrative and internal politics of the entire show and in an interesting way. And so that, I guess, yeah, when John comes back to life, that's sort of the beginning of the end for me because, like, they have dispensed with, you know, that, that, the, the suspense. They've, they, they've dispensed with the suspense. Um, <laughs> because they, they are, they are now too afraid to kill a character like John or Daenerys or Arya. Like, this, the, suddenly the main core is invincible and nothing they can do will kill them. There's an instance in season seven where Jamie is literally riding his horse at a dragon and right before the dragon lights him up, he, he gets pushed off his horse. Ben, oh, ben, ben, so is, ben is shaking his head, Jacob, just so you know. Well, here, here's the re- here's the reason why, and I think we have to get into a little bit of speculative territory because it's just that like uh, it's not that I think this is what's going to happen, but this is what I think would be the most powerful conclusion to Game of Thrones. So, because the story arc has taken all these turns to con- convince you, right? They're like, okay, it's just going to be a a. a uh, this same old story of redemption, right? It's going to be the same old things that despite whatever kind of alchemy you can use to bring people back to life, that in the end, Jon Snow will claim his rightful heir to the Iron Throne, right? And that probably Arya is going to get all of her revenge and that probably Daenerys plays some role. I don't exactly know. I think that's what's going to play out over the season. But here's what I really hope happens. And this gets into one of my favorite characters of Game of Thrones uh, throughout the entire thing. And that is the Night King. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's the zombie, I, right? I fully expect Wait, that... Yeah, he's the zombie, He's right? the king of the zombie. The okay. king of the White Walkers, yes. All right, cool. <laughs> 
And he's now had got a dragon, by the way. That's I think cool. that the mm-hmm. fallacy of human beings to actually think that they can combat something inhuman and unnatural, right? That climate change is going to sweep down from the north and that literally winter will come. <laughs> and that all of the pride, the sort of false pride of all of these people who are pursuing the throne is ultimately going to be that the realm's undoing and that the night king will finally firmly take his place at the iron throne and that winter will have descended on Westeros it's a very ecologically motivated it, and and wouldn't it be an amazing ending and message maybe prove See, me now i would love that ending i don't i don't think the writers are 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 brave enough <laughs> to do an ending like that because i think game of thrones has so many built-in expectations now and for for like i i i am with you i wish that would happen but they they have clearly over several seasons now built up an expectation that i like okay let me start over. <laughs> Certain people are going to die this season. I'm that yeah. that's for sure. Like I think like probably you know, some major characters are going to die. But like I and and I think that like the if there is a victory for the major characters at the end, it's not going to be like a happy go lucky Disney ending where everything is fine because clearly everything can't be fine. It's going to be a, a Dexter and ending where they all move to Alaska. <laughs> they're going to run out of dragon glass yeah. because they tried to mine too much of a rare mineral right out of the earth, and, and it's but it's a finite resource. They're going to run out. Daenerys is going to die. The the Night King is going to take over all three dragons and just unleash chaos on everyone. It, you know, and I think that that would be a great ending. But I also think that like for for multiple seasons, the show has built up this like prophecy of like uh, the this sort of like Jesus figure, but for the Lord of Light where and then now oh, yeah. fan theories are basically speculating for years that Jon Snow is the the is the guy who who will wield the, the flaming sword and beat back the Night King. And I also think that yeah, to a certain extent, the way that the internal lore of the books, and now that extends to the TV show, uh, presents the Night King as a threat is one that has been beaten back before and therefore one that can be beaten back again. Mm. Um, so I, f- I feel like we're going we're gonna to end with that. Although it's weird because in the books, so much of the books and to a certain extent the show is rooted in low fantasy. Is not so much magic. You've got dragons, but they don't even show up until the end of season one, and they don't do anything until season two. Even the Night King does very little, and you only see like a couple zombies in season one. So like the it's it's weird because you have these fantastic elements, but they operate in the background and have operated in the background until very recently, show wise and book wise. So it's, it's, I guess we're sort of in uncharted territory and I can't say, but now sort of like in, in my mind, the, the story itself is becoming mythical in like a structural sense Mm. that like, it's no longer that like John and Daenerys are like characters, but they're becoming mythical characters. And they, they, they're, John especially is retaining these mythical qualities where like, he is the one who like came back from death and, and did all these things and like led the armies of the North, yada, yada, yada. And like, he is the... Oh, do do you think that the show's popularity has actually hurt the story? Like the fact that like no, it's so I... popular that like the they're listening to the fans more than like they would have listened to like maybe just themselves or like or like followed a more risky story. And now do you think like maybe because it's so popular they're like, well, we can't kill Jon Snow or we can't kill Arya or or or, or uh, Tyrion. I don't know if Tyrion's still alive or not. He is. Okay. No, he is. <laughs> um, well, I, like I don't think so. I don't think so. 
because like I don't I don't I also don't think the writers think this is bad writing um, because <laughs> in I think in their head they're like this this works because we almost like need Jon Snow to be the foil to to really Cersei Lannister I think I think in in the heads of the show writers there's a triangle between Jon Daenerys and Cersei and it's been like that for a while and now Jon and Daenerys are in the same place. But like as characters, those are the three anchors of the entire story. You know, be be it that be be it that there are like a dozen major characters. Those three are the ones that really matter. Um, and so like in their heads, they've known that, and they know they've known for a while that nothing can happen to them. Like traumatic things can happen to them, and traumatic things have happened to them. John's died, obviously. Cersei had the shame shame thing. And uh, uh, Daenerys was cast away from her her horde briefly. Didn't she also um, like lose a dragon? It, she yeah. well now she's lost a dragon. She lost yeah. a baby yeah. dragon. Um, yeah, it's all that hubris but that that's going to come really back come to bite people. Yet? They think they can stem this yeah. this this existential threat that may have been ba- held back, you know, in the past. But I'm just saying, like the sea levels are rising. Winter is coming to Winterfell. Winter is coming to Westeros. I'm just saying, like, what better way to remain true to the the unexpected kill off, basically, of main characters who, who have anchored storylines than to just wipe them all out with this northern threat? I'm hashtag yeah, team hashtag hashtag team Night King. Ben, how disappointed will you be I, when that doesn't happen? You know, actually, Jacob brings up a really good point. Here's here's what will be the worst ending for me, is if for some reason they turn this into a, a Jesus-like prophecy, this kind of Christian Lord of Light redemption story, and that, like, John is somehow the Lord of Light. Like, that will just, you know, and he, somehow he you know, wields the flaming sword. You know, if that happens, it's just, it will be, I will, I may write a strongly worded letter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what would be great though is if he is the Lord of Light and the Champion or whatever, and still loses to the Night King. Now that would be peak. Yeah, that's true. That is true. <laughs> like even even your your prophecies cannot you know stem back this tide. Man, I just want to see Night King with like I just like I just want to see everybody become White Walkers. What would yeah? I, I just remembered this scene in the in the first episode of the la- the last se- the season that I'm not quite sure what to make it make of, but. Um, we don't have to get into such finite detail if you don't uh, want. This is this uh, this is kind of what I find interesting about this show is like again I've only seen to up to like halfway through season three and like I feel like left out, like you guys are like speculating now about all this stuff and I'm like oh, that sounds really cool but then I'm like is it like should like is it worth it for me to watch this like should I actually like invest the time Joey to finish it? Joey since you've since let me just add, let me just interject here and just say uh, you just recently watched the first three seasons or have no, you been, you've been, it's, it's been like, over time it's like four years ago <laughs> do you remember the opening shot of the entire series isn't it them in the woods it, and, and yeah and the white walkers and white walkers yeah. right there was like a dismembered leg or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. right it was it was like john and sam right mm-hmm. yeah exactly okay. and i think that no that, it wasn't sam but oh. it Not wasn't sam. john either it was just rando oh, just rando night's watch okay. exactly and it was it was in winter it was night watch and it was just white walkers i, I like, like that, that was man cool. that just sets the tone and that's ultimately what's going to wrap it all up when winter comes. Okay, okay, okay. But like, is it worth it for me? Like, should I actually like put in the time? Like, what are you, both of you? I you defer, I'll defer to Jacob first. <laughs> well, I, I think season eight is intriguing enough so far that I would say it's probably worth it. Like, they're, even in the later seasons, like season five may be trash, but the last three episodes of season five are excellent, starting with Hard Home. Um, and then 
Season six is very hit and miss, but there are bits of season six, including the finale of season six that are excellent. And sort of the same with season seven. Like there, there are nuggets of season seven that are still amazing television. And I don't, and like the amount of work and effort that went into making like what is essentially just a TV show is incredible. So I think like if you, if you feel left out, if you're getting the FOMO, then just go for it. Like (laughs) watch it at your own pace though. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, like, the, the conclusion. I think I'd get there a little bit differently. But i just say that, like, even me having this conversation, like, I, surprisingly, I know, like, there are fewer and fewer of my friends, I think, that are invested in Game of Thrones. And now that I'm able to talk about it with somebody, I am actually getting quite animated. And I'm really making a strong argument for what I really hope happens. And I'm, I'm feeling myself, like, you know, that little fire of fandom sort of welling up within me that that... I haven't felt that way about a show or been invested, you know, in that sort of storyline for a while. And if it doesn't come true, then I just can defend it and say why the writers were wrong, you know? <laughs> so, like, there is some joy in reveling in a in a, some sort of creative artifact, you know, along those same lines that I haven't, ha- I haven't had before. You, you know, you're saying, you know, like some of your friends aren't watching the show as much as they used to. Yeah. When, when The Walking Dead came out, I was like, this is the next big, sh- like, this is the next big one. Like, everyone's talking about The Walking Dead. And then, like, after season, like, three, everyone was like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, and I do think that that it's sort of, and I think maybe Game of Thrones has had a little bit of that. Um, but but certainly not as much as this. it seemed like people watching The Walking Dead did. Like, it just seemed like it kind of fell off I more. have friends that still, I didn't even yeah. know. I didn't even know it was still on. I, I have friends, too, that, that that's the same thing. They're like, okay, I start, like, I can't stop. Like, it's an amazing show. But sure. um, I, I don't know. I guess We'll maybe have to just... have someone come on and defend The Walking Dead. I'm curious. Well, and I do think, you know, to Jacob's point, like, I just think that Game of Thrones is, is like a really great, um, achievement of television, like of the form, because there's been so much commercial backing for it, and they've done a really good job at kind of creating buzz around the whole thing. And plus, we do know also that Game of Thrones is the most pirated show around the world as well, and yet it still is just seemingly earning money, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, for HBO, because people probably... I'd be curious to see, like, a time lapse of renewals or uh, subscriptions to HBO Go or now, like, in the in the run up to the release of season but eight, Jacob, you just renewed your HBO, right? <laughs> That's right. We were not HBO subscribers until the first episode dropped, and, and we and plan I, on canceling as soon as the season's over. <laughs> exactly, and and that's where you know that's what HBO is banking on, right? And by association, AT and T now. Yeah. So, any any mm-hmm. final thoughts on uh, Game of Thrones this season, and kind of you know how you feel about it as a cultural artifact and stuff, Jacob? Well, we didn't really talk about this season, but the the first episode of this season is actually like, I don't think it was great, but it was intriguing. And like, it was probably like a really good first episode for a show that really hasn't been on the air for two years to to like seed people back into, okay, what are we doing? What's happening? Um, And as a cultural artifact, I mean, we've, we've obviously arrived at something that's on premium cable that you have to pay money to get that you can't get for free um, being like a massive cultural phenomenon that I don't think has an equal among TV. Like it's reached the stage where it is as popular as film franchises, which is, is I'd like because it is, it is essentially at this point, its own, it, it, I don't know how to say this. It's reached the point where as a cultural artifact, it has the importance of a film while still being a TV show, which I think in the minds of lots of people are still two very separate things. 
I think that's like a really good point, actually. This is kind of the first thing that it's bridging the gap, right? It's closing that that divide. Well, and this is the business model of HBO. This is the thing that HBO has been banking on since its founding, that people would pay a premium price to get access to premium content. And but now, you know, again, to the point, we we had seen in the past like uh, major shows. I mean, yes, you mentioned Sopranos, but then also not even forgetting things like Breaking Bad, which aired on AMC. Uh, Mad Men had its heyday for a while too, uh, also on AMC. But like television, actually being this form where you can tell long form stories, uh, serialized stories over a you know that's what serialized means. But you get the point. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now though, like. Just the earning power of Game of Thrones, I think, is something that others will try to replicate. And I just don't know if they either have the capital to invest, like, really, uh, or we're going to see just flops, you know? And and it's just not going to work in a way that Game of Thrones seemingly has worked uh, and is wildly successful. All right. Thank you for bringing up serialization. Oh, sorry. Last word. No, you're good. Because <laughs> we good, didn't mention good. this. But I think serialization matters a lot. That, like, there's something about the way that we consume media that when it's serialized, there's we just enjoy it more. Or for, I, like, I can't explain it. But but if it's if it's literally the podcast serial or if it's Game of Thrones or if it's the Marvel series, the, the Marvel movies, like, because they are this interconnected, serialized story, there's something about, like, enjoying it as a culture and, like, enjoying this ongoing story that takes years to tell is somehow more engaging for the largest possible audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Oh, that's a good point to end it on, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, and, and and it exists not just across, like, to the point, not just across television, but, you know, podcasts certainly uh, mm-hmm. that way. So there was a, the term for this basically was transmedia storytelling, and it was all the rave probably around 2010-ish. Um, and now I think we're just starting to see the, the full expression of that that particular sort of creative impulse, you know, to tell oh, grand did, stories. Did not Game of Thrones? What's that? I'm sorry. But, uh, did not Game of Thrones start in 2010? It may have, yeah. Did it? If it did, then yes. I mean, because people have been talking about it at that point. Yeah, certainly. All right, cool. Well, all right. I think this has been a good episode. I I hope everyone is excited for the end of Game of Thrones. I know I'm not because I... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I am actually. I'm excited because I'm probably just going to read the synopsis. If I don't watch it, well, you could you could just read the books, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, but like I don't have that kind of time either. Either that, or just watch like the. I think at the beginning of every season, they do like a the story so far. The story so far, and yeah. you could at least get a snap mm-hmm. catch up while missing some of the details. And then maybe I'll just watch season eight. <laughs> yeah, and then you could watch that season, yeah, or seven or whatever, yeah. All right, well, Jacob, we appreciate you being on all the way down in Vegas. Uh, if you didn't realize, Jacob is is not in the studio with us. He is calling in, and uh, luckily you have a nice microphone, so we're going to plug your audio It's true. In. <laughs> Through the magic of audio, well, he's right in the room with us. Yes. Yes. Um, well, thanks yeah. for having me on. Yeah, man. Yeah, uh, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And, uh, it, you know, today's uh, song was Finder by People with Bodies. Yep. And, uh, you can also uh, support the podcast on Patreon, get access to all sorts of bonus content. We're working on more specials for our bonus content listeners, including uh, potential savings from from either local or wherever our patrons come from, uh, local establishments. Uh, you can also uh, kind of engage in the conversation with us and our listeners. The most active community is currently on Facebook, so if you just search for Residual Culture Podcast on Facebook, we're also on Instagram, Twitter, and hopefully you will like and rate the podcast on all of your favorite podcast distribution platforms. This has been Residual Culture. I'm Ben Birkenbein. I'm Joey Lovato. And joining us has been... Oh, it's me, Jacob Solis. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fantastic ending. All right, Jacob, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. Get into it. Awesome is-